You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network. Everybody, welcome to Band Geek. I'm Richie Castellano. Today hey. I have a very special guest with me, the incredible, legendary Eric Bloom. No, you are. Oh, I'm the only person here, so I have to clap. So, Eric and I are just hanging today, and uh, he saw that I was trying to figure out what to do for a live stream. So, Eric came on and, and helped me out. Say hello to the people of the internet, Eric. How you doing out there, everybody? What's up? Oh, the uh, Rack Dan wants to know, or Ratch Dan wants to know about the hold music. Uh, that is hold music that Anne Marie and I wrote. So um, Eric and I are hanging out, talking about things that rock and roll people talk about, like television shows and video games. So I'm going to start off with uh, the you first know, question. You know, Big Bang is a final episode of the season this uh, this week. Really? Yeah. Um, I think it's tonight. Big Bang Theory gets a lot of crap, but I think it's a good show. I like it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, you you were on a trip recently, and you sent me something very funny, which was Big Bang Theory with Italian uh, <laughs> overdub. Yeah, yeah, overdub, yeah. It was the episode where Sheldon could not uh, figure out which gaming platform to, to pick. Quesadice <laughs> Bazinga. It's a big banger. It's a big banger theory. Um, so... We're going to also talk about video games. I'm going to ask the first questions uh, before I let you guys... And by uh, the way, we did not prepare anything. We're just winging it. Yeah, well, this is what they've come to expect from me. So uh, what games are you playing now? Literally right now. (laughs) I am playing uh, Transformers um, Earth Wars. It's literally like hanging out with an eight-year-old. He can't do just one thing. He has to play the video game in the background. Yeah, I'm playing Transformers Earth Wars. It's, um, I'm playing it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's an iPad game. And um, I've been playing it for, uh, I don't know. I could tell you exactly how long I'm playing it because you push right over here and it tells you how many many freaking hundreds of days you've been playing it. I've been playing it a lot. And... um, uh, it's something to do uh, when I'm not doing everything else. So the, I want to tell, I think I might have told this story before. Um, so when I first met you, when I first started working for the band yeah. uh, in 2000, I was a sound guy and very green. And you and I didn't have much to talk about uh, until we both found out that we both had Xboxes at home and we were both playing Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, I had the original Xbox. Yep. Yeah. That, and that's one of the best. That's one of the best games, ever to me. Still, Knights of the Old Republic, the first one, right? And then that uh, you were playing a game called Gemstone. That's right. It was a scrolling text game. And I convinced you to get a graphic computer. A yes, computer with, uh, that's right. And then we played Star Wars Galaxies. That's right. And then you and you sort of ran the gamut of all the 
MMORPGs. Like you, you played a little bit of everything. I played. I played. Yeah, I played Warcraft for three solid years. Wow. Yeah. And so, are you playing any more computer games, or is it just the mobile stuff now? Well, um, <clears throat> luckily, my friend Sean, who works at Nvidia, um, is able to help me out and get a a lot of the uh, latest graphic games. And so, uh, what's that uh, graphic game you're playing, Richie? Uh, right now, I was playing Mass Effect. So I do have a copy of Mass Effect. I did. I did get started in it. It has not grabbed me uh, like it has grabbed you, but that's because I'm so hung up with a couple of these iPad games. But I think if I, I, I there's just so many hours in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't have to explain this to you. Well, the nice thing about the iPad game is when you travel the way we do, yeah. you could just pull the iPad out if you have like five minutes here or there and jump right in. And and the best thing about the iPad, of course, is you can play it uh, via the airwaves, where with a laptop, you know, you cannot. So uh, let's talk about who is on Facebook. And we're, we're broadcasting on Facebook and YouTube right now. We have quite a few people joining us. Hello, everybody. Uh, Daniel Hogan, Dave Randazzo, Jim Puzio, Ron Duros, Rick Ro- Hi, Ry- uh, Rick Ryo. Uh, Rick is somebody, he's uh, from France, and he's going to be coming to hang out with us at Hellfest. Oh, monsieur, comment ça va? Yes. Uh, hey, Rick, Eric wants a, a lightsaber. We got we to gotta hook him up. <laughs> We gotta see what, what we could do. Actually, man. I'm working on uh, getting a custom made lightsaber made by um, a custom uh, a guy who's very well known yep. for making them custom made. So, but he's getting married in three weeks, so it's on hold for the time being. And uh, we have uh, Tom O'Hanlon, Joel Canonico, Curtis St. John, Dwight McCain. This sounds like a Blue Oyster Cult fan circle it jerk is. to me. <laughs> Cheryl Peterson, David Stick, uh, Stikeleather. Sorry if I'm butchering your names. And uh, Andrew Cole. Okay, over on YouTube, we have Eric Jordan, Mick Loving, uh, Lawrence Langan, U- Ulysses, uh, Rich Shilto. Let's see. Vince Howell, Michelle K. Williams. Hello. Jeremy Graham. What's up? All right, so. Anybody, if you guys want to start off on some questions, uh, or we can just shoot the shit here about video games and, and TV shows, uh, I'll ask you one more question about that. What's your favorite show right now besides Big Bang Theory? Um, I'm watching The Last Kingdom on Netflix, which mm-hmm. is a BBC show. Uh, I'm liking it. I'm just getting into it. It's been on a while, two seasons. Uh, so I'm just getting into season one. And um, it's sort of like um, um, Vikings. A little bit like Vikings. It is about Vikings, but it's not not, Vikings. not the Vikings. Not the Vikings. I haven't watched either of those shows. Well, the original Vikings, um, which is on, I think, uh, National Geographic. It's it's um, it's this is sort of like a light version of that. Not quite as much gore, but it's um, I'm liking it. Have you seen Fargo, the TV show? Yes. No, I haven't. Uh, David Stike. I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, David. Um, David is watching Fargo. I want to watch that too because my favorite actor ever, Ewan McGregor, plays two characters on it. He's- yeah, I, I, everyone <laughs> says it's great. It's just like how many hours in the day can you watch all the stuff that everyone says is great? Right, right. Okay, so um, let's see. Are we all excited for Marvel Defenders? That's from Lawrence. Uh, do you know about that, Lauren, uh, the uh, Marvel Defenders? No. Uh, have you seen Daredevil? The TV show? Yeah. Uh, some of it. So they're taking Daredevil, 
um, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist, and they're making like a... Iron Fist is a bit of a stinker. Have you been watching it? I watched about four episodes, five episodes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I watched the whole thing, on, a, and there was parts about it I liked, but I thought uh, some of the fighting, we did better in Tiger's Fang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw I saw when the fist started working and he knocked himself out of the out of the jail mm. and I said, Oh boy, you know, yeah, I think yeah. I'm done. <laughs> well they're taking all but, those but characters. Jessica, Jessica Jones yeah. I absolutely thought was one of the best shows I've ever seen. That was amazing. And Luke Cage I liked a lot. Yeah, I love Luke Cage. Yeah. But they're taking they're taking all those characters and they're gonna be putting them together in one like Avenger, like the street level Avengers okay. type of show and, and there's a, a trailer somewhere. Is uh, this for cable? It's for it's for uh, Netflix. Okay. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. And I think, have all the actors signed on. Yes. Well, there's a trailer already. Okay. So it's happening. All right. Um, did you see Guardians yet? I have not. No, no. It's, I'm I'm about a week late. <laughs> oh my god! I got nobody to go with. I don't want to drive all the way over here just to go to. <laughs> I've done that. I've I've gone with the with the Castellano Mafia to a movie. That's it's, right. It's a shitty drive to come over here. <laughs> You know, but uh, I did it today because, well, for, for, you know, to do this podcast, Richie and I are working on some tunes. So that's a, a variety of reasons. Yeah. So, I mean, look, when uh, here's, here's the deal. I know the way you like to go to the movies is not the way my family goes to the movies. I know they're two different, very well, different things. Well, your family likes to bring a haunch of oxen <laughs> when, they go to, when they go to a movie. <laughs> Some popcorn, you know, a, a leg of beef, <laughs> three liters of soda. No, that's not the way I like to get a movie. Here's a fun question. Um, why, why aren't there any BOC songs in Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, that's, that's not up to us. I wish it was up to us. What, why, why isn't the song Godzilla in any Godzilla movie? Yeah, that's screwed up. What, but what, um, if you could pick a BOC song to be on the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, star, uh, soundtrack, which one would you pick? I don't know, something that would fit the mold. Well, most of those songs are old. You know, I mean, yeah. we're old, but those songs are older. Well, they're like late 70s, early 80s, so you'd think... Um, you know, it would have to be something catchy that everybody would know, you know, and I, I guess uh, Burning For You or something like that mm -hmm. might, be, might fit the title. You know, whip out a ray gun, you know, and there you go. a little Burning For You. They put on his headphones, get a little boogie going. Yeah, so please start the, the uh, fan campaign... They, they, I saw I saw the guys making the movie do a little like a promo, and they said they're working on the third one now. That's right. Uh, I liked it very much. If you heard us last week, we did the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy review episode, and I liked it a lot. Um, oh, Albert's on. Hi, Albert. Hey, Albert. How you doing? Um, okay. Can we talk about how um, all the Europe shows came about this summer? Is it uh, something having to do with the promoters? This is a question from Michelle K. Williams. Uh, because we're we're there for a pretty long time this summer. You know, I, I don't have to explain this to many people in the music business, but for people who have no idea, we, we have nothing to do with that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there are agents in Europe that, you know, we, we are available. We let we let the, the our management know when we want to work, and our management gets together with agents, and they they put it all together. Ah. So, yeah, it's it's all uh, all ahead of us. Yes. Amory's home, everybody. Oh, okay. I just Hi, Amory. Just heard the beep. Um, okay, we have another one. Are you looking forward to the new Blade Runner movie? I I know I like the original. I just was, you know, some people 
who are not old enough to remember that movie have seen it recently and don't think much of it. But uh, I like the original. I like um, uh, Philip K. Dick and and just about everything he's ever done. So um, of course, there's some actors we all know in that movie, mm-hmm. and um, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I saw Blade Runner. Um, I never seen it, and I saw it in the theater when they were showing the director's cut, which I I thought was kind. Of, I I didn't get it. I just it was sort of a little too weird for me. But maybe I should watch the theatrical one. Maybe so. You know, I never saw the director's cut. But it's, but also it might be the time, you know, because the movie came out how many years ago? Um was in the eighties, right? Um, maybe further back than that. So it it it's um it's a dark movie, you know, and also it's the first thing is there's been so many movies like it mm-hmm. that you've seen since then. So it might have been not original to you. But it was original then, right? And all the other movies have copied it, so I think that might have been the problem. Uh, do you know if this new one's going to be a sequel? I don't know. The, who knows? Is, is it a sequel or is it just a uh, um, a reboot? Oh, night. Oh, here we go. Gary Ireton just told us it was 1982 when it came out. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see. Oh, thoughts on? Here's an interesting question. Thoughts on bootlegging concerts? Um. I might have cared about 30 years ago. You know, I don't really care now. Um, if it go, it, It's weird because, yeah, it sucks to not get paid for that sort of thing, but if if it's on YouTube and it's ad-supported, then you kind of do. It's just a, like a pittance. You know what I mean? It's like nothing, there's like not much money in it. I know our management would prefer it all to be um, kosher, shall we say, mm-hmm. um, and all, all organized into... Um, like a YouTube channel somewhere. And I think that's a good thing. So at least it's, you know, whatever small funds that it can be um, uh, directed to the right people are all is all in one place. So we have some other questions. And I think this is actually a really great question from Riley63 on YouTube. How do you come up with the set lists? Um, actually, a set list... The, the the framework of a set list has evolved over a very, very long time period um, through trial and error, I would say. And um, a set list, like a, if you look at a 1973 set list and you look at a set list from today, uh, it would be very, very similar. And through trial and error, uh, moving songs around, see what works. Um, I write the set list um, through the history of the band in in a similar way. And I I do feel like taking an experiment from time to time and moving a song around. And I will ask the other guys in the band, what do you think of moving this song over here and moving this song over there? And I will take some feedback. But um, what's more fun to me is not necessarily the set list itself, but calling like a, a, a theater show. Mm-hmm. When we have um, a Blue Oyster Cult audience, shall we say, that is a Blue Oyster Cult ticket and not when we're supporting somebody else or not when it's a, a, a casino show where we have to get off at 10 o'clock no matter what. But it's a show where we have uh, a 90-minute set and then the promoter says, play as long as you want. Mm-hmm. And then I walk out and you know we walk off the stage 
and um, we discuss amongst ourselves. And we what, have an argument. <laughs> well, it's not an argument. It, no, it's, like, it's like it's um, like you know. What do you want to start with? And I'll say you know we'll we'll discuss one or two songs, and then I just call it from then out, and we'll do seven eight songs. And um, it's just literally right off the top of my head of maybe some deep tracks that we don't normally play. And that's more fun than the regular show to me because we get a chance to play songs we only do in a sound check that we don't usually play. And that's much more fun than, um, than doing a regular show. One thing I will say uh, is that we like to play. Uh, so... If we're if we don't have a time limit and the and the promoter or whoever's running the show says you know go as long as you want we we will we will, yeah we'll we'll do a two hour and twenty minute show yeah. if, if we can uh, but um, the reality of the gig is we are contracted to play a ninety minute show or a seventy five minute show or seventy five plus an encore mm-hmm. and very often it's a union thing or very often it's a casino thing or a town thing, or, or a sound ordinance thing, and the neighborhood thing, and it's out of our control. So if it's a short show, it's not on us. It's it's a contractual thing, and that's that. Yeah, we will always play longer if we can. Now, I really think set listing is, uh, or crafting a set list is an art in itself. And I've watched my dad do it for years, and, and, and have watched you do it for years. What are the... Uh, now, this might be obvious to you, but some people might not understand this. What are the factors you look for or feel or just, you know, in general, what makes you decide to change a set list on the spot? Well, uh, mostly feedback from the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, if uh, the next song on the set list is a song like is uh, too down mm-hmm. uh, or, or laid back, and I can feel the vibe from the audience, they would prefer something upbeat, uh, I will... Think of something upbeat that we're, that's not on the list, and I'll do a, 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 an audio, you know, or a visual, you know, a hand signal or something to everybody mm-hmm. and say, you know, we're going to do Bucks Boogie instead or something upbeat. Uh, uh, something like that, usually feedback from the audience. Now, here's a good question from my buddy Rick Rio. Um, he wants to know how you feel about playing the big metal fests like Hellfest, for example. Well... I don't really think of BOC as a metal band, so I don't sometimes think we fit in those shows. I don't know how you feel about that, but, um, you know, we are lumped in there with bands uh, of that ilk sometimes, and, and but I, I, I like going on after Biohazard or something like that always feels a little weird to me. Um, I'm glad to be there. I'm yeah. glad to hang out with those guys because I know a lot of those guys and I like them. But I always feel weird watching the audience jump up and down to one of those kind of, you know, uh, yeah. one of those bands that's like the people are, the, the people are moshing, you know, like going like that. And then we come out, you know, and they can't do that. Yeah. So um, I guess they can appreciate us for who we are and what we do. But it isn't what the other bands are all doing. You know, I, I, I'm of two uh, opinions here. There, I, I get what you're saying. There's... Okay, there's a term I heard used to describe Blue Oyster Cult as proto-metal. like Whatever that means. Like pre-metal, something that was like helped to form heavy metal. So an interesting thing I see is when we play these gigs and I see all these guys from metal bands come up to you and Don and they're like, oh my God, you guys really inspired us. So 
from that, and, and it's really cool to see that, uh, especially, like, here's a funny story. We did uh, Sweden Rock Fest, and at the airport the next day, I was having breakfast. I was sitting by myself at a table eating breakfast, and uh, Stephen Piercy from Rat, mm-hmm. he he sat down at me at my table and just started talking about Eric Bloom with me. <laughs> like, just randomly, he saw that I was in Blue Oyster Cult, he goes... Eric Bloom is the greatest frontman of all time. He's the best singer in rock and roll. And just like it was cool to see Stephen Piercy come up to me and talk about a person who I've known all this time and just have total hero worship. I thought that was awesome. Uh, but my my other thing is sometimes you can do these metal fests and you see people just like okay, this is not what we're really here for. But a lot of the time, all day long, they're hearing and so to hear some more mellow stuff. Is kind of a nice break for them. You know what I mean? Because they've been listening to the same thing all day long. I wish I knew the answer to that. Well, it's just different you know? for, yeah, for everyone. Because yeah, yeah. some, some of those European metal fests... I hope fests, what you're saying is true. I mean, like, I'm not going to say there aren't the, the European metal fests where we play it and people are just looking at us like, what are you doing here? But a lot of the times they know the songs and they're happy for a little change of pace. I mean, that, that's what I think. I just wish it didn't rain that day. Because every time we play, it's a mud fest. Oh, my God. Was it... Was Hellfest the one we played with Maiden? Uh, it's a blur to me. We played one with Maiden, and uh, I really I love Iron Maiden, so I wanted to go see them. And I was in the dressing room, and and you know when you show up to a gig, you have the clothes you're going to wear on stage, and you'd like to look presentable. And I got about three hundred feet uh, toward the stage, and it was just a, a pool of mud. Yeah, uh, for, it's, it's for like two thousand like, feet in front of me. It was, all, all it is is like wooden planks on top of mud puddles. Um, okay, here's one from Eric Jordan. Uh, what's the deepest track we play? Do you think what's like the the weirdest thing? Oh, we play "Beautiful as a Foot." <laughs> yeah, you know that came right to mind for me. Yeah, or, you know we'll 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 dig deep on occasion. Um, here's one from Linda Blackwell. Uh, hi, Eric. What is the uh, what's your favorite place to play outside of the U.S. Um, I don't think I have a favorite. You know, um, we're we're about to do three solid weeks uh, in Europe, so we'll be crisscrossing all over um, uh, the Western Europe. Um, so pick one. But you know, I, I like France. I like England. I like Spain. You know, it was awesome when we got to play Monaco. Yeah, that was interesting. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, that was a club date, so it was a little weird. But I I just like being in the town. Here's an interesting uh, industry question from my buddy Curtis Th- Curtis St. John. Excuse me. Uh, as a young stagehand, I gave away the hand-scrolled set list to a fan uh, who wanted it on stage, and he got his ass handed to him by the band. Uh, so do you think – was he wrong for handing a set list out? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I, I guess that would depend on uh, who you're working for. Oh, okay. Here's another one from Curtis. Uh, what song do I play alone when no one's watching? Uh... Me, it's anything by Katy Perry. Do you, do you have a guilty pleasure uh, pop thing that you listen to? That I listen to? Um, that, you, that you don't want anybody to know about, but you're going to tell everybody right now? No, I, I you, know, in, you know, sing along in the car and stuff like that. Is, you know, I listen to uh, deep tracks. I listen to, uh, I, I do the decades a lot. Okay. Yeah, I listen to uh, 60s, 70s. I don't have satellite, so I have to listen to yeah. my, my, my phone. Uh, okay. Let's see. Oh, hi, Muff. Jarrett's here. See how excited everybody is? All right, let's see. Uh, I know we, I saw a few questions here that I missed. 
Um, oh, and they're gone already. Uh, Eric, do you have a any vocal training? Have you ever taken lessons or anything like that? No. That's a question from Adam. But that's, I, that's the, you know, the, the like a lot of people write on Facebook, the school of hard knocks, you know? I mean, we, I'm sure everybody like Richie or anybody you talk to who does what we do, you know, you start off playing in bars and it's, it's, it's what it is. You know, I started in upstate New York playing in fraternity parties and local little bars and you just, um, if you don't make a living doing that, you don't last very long mm-hmm. and you either sort of have it or you sort of don't. Uh, for me personally, uh, I was singing a certain way and then Anne-Marie sort of straightened out my technique and I got I was able to do more stuff with my voice. So uh, I highly recommend Anne-Marie as a vocal expert and vocal coach to anybody. Well, he's married to a, a, a vocal major, so. <laughs> um, okay, here's another question, a random question. What are your thoughts on the band The Good Rats? Um, never saw them live. Really? No. Is, is that a Long Island band? Yes. But uh, the, their heyday was the same time as when we were working. So I never got a chance to have a day off to go see them. And um, I know their reputation was great. And I do know a couple of the guys over the years. But um, I wish I had because the reputation was sterling. Uh, here's another question. Um, do you recall touring with Bob Seeger? Oh, certainly. Uh, any stories from that or any uh, anecdotal well, you, like to share? you know, going all the way back uh, to the earliest days of BOC, um, uh, Bob Seeger, uh, it was a Bob Seeger system before it was the current uh, iteration. And uh, Bob was, uh, we were playing together, and uh, this is before Night Moves. So this is a long, long time ago. And um, uh, we were hanging out quite a bit, night after night after night, slogging through clubs and bars. And, and um, I remember uh, when that Night Moves album came out and it had not hit yet. And Bob was our opening act. And um, I said, what's going to happen if this record doesn't do anything? <laughs> and uh, this is you know just as MTV was starting and, right. and the, the Night Moves video was just starting to crack a little bit. And he says, well, if this one doesn't, I'll just write another one. Yeah, and we were just sitting in his hotel room just shooting the shit. And um, then, you know, he exploded, literally. And um, he became huge. Um, here's my favorite question of the evening from a guy named Jarrett Pressman. What do you find the most annoying about Richie on the road? Um, the, the fact that he won't eat pizza with me. that question jared i I really don't like you jared at all um you know i still eat carbs and he won't (laughs) um okay here's one um paul uh shadow he says uh we that you were label mates with bruce springsteen did you ever cross paths with him um i met him um but you know i can't say i hang with him or know him very well Mm. we um okay ulysses wants to know if we liked playing with bumblefoot um, for those of you who don't know, Bumblefoot, his name is Ron Thal, and uh, he was on the Band Geek podcast, and he was my mentor and taught me a good portion of what I know about recording. But we did a gig with with Guns N' Roses in Spain. Yeah, in Spain, right. And uh, he came up on uh, Cities on Flame, on our, our encore, 
and he played his fretless guitar uh, with us, and it was pretty damn cool. But then he yelled at me afterwards because I called him up on a song he'd never heard before. So, <laughs> well, I know he's a quirky guy, but he but, but uh, he's a tremendous musician. Um, what about the Queensrÿche guys? Um, do you know any of those guys? Um, well, we're not playing with the uh, Jeff Tate version. Okay. So. Oh, we uh, are playing with. Uh, okay, uh, I didn't realize that. Uh, I'm not sure which version we're playing with now, but uh, I don't think uh, he calls it Queensrÿche, does he? I think it's called Mind Crime or something like that. Yeah, so I'm I'm not sure which uh, which one we're playing with. I think if it's Queensrÿche, it's not him. No, yeah, I, yeah. Um, well, you worked with him though at the Hearing Aid thing. Yes. Uh, so what was that like? Did, did you hear him record? Or did you uh, I had to, I had to sing right after him. <laughs> you know, I said I got to sing after him. <laughs> Have you guys heard the Hearing Aid thing? It's amazing. The Westars and. Uh, you know, he, it, I guess, w- w- did you hear him record or was it just... Yeah, it was like I was the next guy up. So he goes, we are calling you, calling you. And then yeah. you have to go up. Yeah. So can you talk about that, like the whole setup of that? Because that's a really interesting project. Well, you know, Ronnie was a friend of mine. And and um, we actually go back to uh, upstate New York. We're talking about Ronnie Dio now. So um, how long a story can this be? Um Upstate New York was a hotbed of rock and roll, and uh, Buck and Albert uh, were were in a cover band uh, in college in Upstate, and I was in a different band. We didn't know each other, and um, there was lots of different bands in Upstate New York at that time, including Ronnie Dio and the Prophets. And um, except Ronnie Dio was like a name band, and he played all over the place, and had a truck and a lift gate and roadies, and so even he, then he was oh yeah, yeah he was he was like a, a known uh, professional, and we were just a uh, you know bumbling college guys who who threw our small equipment in the trunk of a car, and um, I was playing bars and fraternity parties, and. Um, but my paths did did cross with Ronnie from time to time because we'd play similar gigs, except I would show up in my '55 Chevy with um, homemade columns and a and a small amp and whatever, and he would show up with a truck with a lift gate and three guy crew and and um, play in basically a fraternity party living room with uh, you know. $25,000 worth of equipment. And, uh, you know, we would show up with basically a Sears Roebuck catalog, you know, <laughs> worth, worth, worth of equipment. And um, very often, um, I can't even remember the question anymore, but I could talk about Ronnie all night long. He was he was one of my heroes. Was he just singing then, or was he playing? He was the bass player. And was, there, was he the singer and the bass player? Or yes. That- Yes. Um, there was another guy in the band that, you know, Ronnie Dio and the Prophets became um, Dio eventually, but in between they became Electric Elves okay. and then became Elf. And there was a different, a few different people uh, in and out uh, over the years, but um, Electric Elves became Elf and then Elf was drafted to become Rainbow. Mm-hmm. And. Um, Rainbow also changed many different people, but yep. uh, but you know Ronnie's voice always uh, you know was the gold uh, of of every one of those bands. But uh, what became of uh, Electric Elves 
was uh, 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 Ron Feinstein was uh, one of the guitar players, and he became a band called the Rods R O D S that still plays in upstate New York. I really? Believe. Yeah, I believe so. So, so, so um, but we're getting back to Hearing Aid when Ronnie organized, um, you know, oh, um, the. Um, the above ground version of that was with Michael Jackson and uh, and a we lot of world. we are the world right. uh, for a relief for uh, Ethiopia and Africa. Uh, about a year later, Ronnie organized a heavy metal version of that called "We're Stars." And when I got wind of that, I contacted our manager, who contacted Ronnie, to say that Buck and I would like to participate. So Ronnie invited us to come out and, and be in it, because it was mostly all West Coast bands. So uh, Buck and I flew out to participate in that. And, you know, a lot of people we knew were in it, but there was, I would say, 50% of the guys in it were guys we didn't know from younger bands. And uh, we'll, I've met a lot of very interesting guys from a lot of, like Rob Halford was in it. Yeah. And I'd never met him before. Very nice guy. And the Spinal Tap guys were the Spinal there. Tap guys, yeah, that was interesting. And uh, they now, were, they were you know, they were stayed in character. Were, were people throwing shade at them? A little bit. Really? Yeah, not me, but there were, there were a couple of the guys that, that said, oh, you're making fun of us. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I thought that was, you know, stupid, but there, some of the guys didn't like that. Uh. But, you know, like, um, you know, the, um, there was a lot of, uh, Rudy Sarzo was there, who was, you know, uh, I knew him before, but we got to be good friends then. And, you know, years later, it was, became, uh, you know, in our band. And uh, a lot of uh, Carmine was there and Vinny was there. So there was a, a lot of, you know, people I didn't know and a lot of guys I didn't know. And I did not know Jeff Tate. And um, uh, it was uh, an interesting, interesting couple of days. Can I ask you some technical questions about that? Like yeah. When you... D- was it just like you have to nail this in one take, or would they give you multiple takes? Uh, a couple, okay, you know, but not a lot of time because there was you know ten singers, you know. And and also, were you around when 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 Buck was cutting his part, the guitar um, part? I was there, but it was all like in the studio, right? And it was it was mostly the singers than the guitar players because he got he got a really lengthy uh, lead spot there. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know. I think Ronnie really respected him mm-hmm. and wanted to give him you know whatever he needed. Yeah, but I you know if you haven't heard that, you got to take a take a listen to it. It's called uh, "Hear and Aid." It's on YouTube. You just type "We're Stars" uh, or whatever. Um, here's another fun question for you. Uh, in the early days, how focused were you on gear and tone and all that stuff about like guitar gear? Like, was that ever your thing? Me personally? Yeah. Well, you know, we, we went through uh, something I, I was, I can't say I was in charge of it, but I certainly was involved in it. Um, I'd go out to the NAMM show and try to uh, deal with endorsements, you know, and, uh, you know, we have a Laney deal, you know, Laney's a British amp deal. We Very have good a, amps, yeah, by the way. Yeah, uh, Watt. Um, Whatever was uh, au courant, shall we say, um, you know, Marshall, um, uh, we tried to um, score a deal and, and get a back line. And um, it went through a series of what everybody was using. Mm-hmm. And you, we would try to uh, have a back line of gear that whatever most bands of our ilk was using, um, because that went like every couple of years. 
there was a sound everybody seemed to like and everybody wanted to sound like. And uh, Marshall would be popular for a while, and then Hiwat would be popular for a while, and Laney would be popular for a while. And uh, there was a time where Stramp, which is an amp I'm sure you've never even heard of. Stramp? Stramp you can, <laughs> was popular for a while. And there was um, a Randall, or, you know, there was, a, you know, there's, and we would change backline usually once a year. And um, you wanted to have what most bands were sounding like you know of course we all you'd modify those sounds with you know your pedals or your you know your outboard gear well this is this is a good segue to make right here because i want to show you guys one of the prized possessions that i have here in my guitar collection what is that this is an esp mirage deluxe and this is a, a guitar that Eric Bloom played on stage. It's still, still in tune since the last time he played it. <laughs> that, that, that would be about 1985. <laughs> now, and, and it's the same strings, probably. No, I changed the strings. I know that. <laughs> now, um... ESP is a wonderful guitar company, and it's still used by many major bands and mm -hmm. guitar players. So here's um, this is a, I love this guitar. This is a, this means a lot to me. Thank you for this, Eric. Um, this uh, now you played this when like early '90s, maybe. Uh, I would have to look at stage clothes or something <laughs> to, to tell you. Um, I had an ESP as a as an, an endorsement for several years, and um, got two ESPs from them. That one and another one, which was identical. One has the alien sticker on it. Yeah, so. one has the alien sticker. I think I got this one first, mm -hmm. and then when I got this second one as a spare, I put the alien sticker on the spare and started playing that, and this became the spare. But I played this one for, you know, a good year, year and a half. And one day Richie came over my house and I felt like um, passing this on to Richie so we could have something of mine forever. Thank you very much. There's another uh, cool thing that you'll have to see next time. Uh, Eric added a piece of artwork to the Band Geek studio. Uh, that's very cool. And uh, he, he, when he gave it to me, he said, I'm literally the only person that will appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could put a camera on that later. Yeah. Um, it's a very cool uh, Batman v Superman poster that I got. Uh, Rich is the only the fan there is in the world of that movie. <laughs> um, so now, obviously now you went back to using the SG. What significance does a Gibson SG have to you? And, and why is it that guitar? Well, I started out playing SGs. You know, uh, way back, um, actually, my first guitar, uh, not my first, very first ever guitar, but, but the first um, serious guitar, uh, electric guitar I had was a Stratocaster. But after that, the first uh, first band of Blue Oyster Cult uh, uh, instrument I had was an SG. So uh, I've made full loop around from the earliest days to the current days. Do you still have the old one? No, it's gone. I, don't, uh. I have no idea what happened to it. Um, you know, I don't know anybody in this business who hasn't had a guitar stolen. 
um, either from a storage place or from a stage or from a truck or from a backstage or just shit disappears. Um, here's some other questions here. Uh, one was oh, from Joanne Florek Vivieros. Ever played golf with Alice Cooper? Uh, I am not a golfer. I've, <laughs> I tried it and uh, I, I, I was terrible. And uh, I leave that to Jules Rodino, who was our resident golfer. That's right. Um, okay, here's a here's an odd question that I would actually like to know the the uh, answer to. Uh, what does Marshall will boy but Fender control mean? I did not write that. That's Albert, right? Uh, no, uh, uh, that's Perlman. Oh, Perlman. Yeah. Well, Albert, if you're still watching and you know the answer, feel free to write it. <laughs> uh, well, you got to remember, Marshall Will Boy is B-U-O-Y. Yeah. So to be buoyant, you know, is Marshall Will Boy, uh, but Fender Control. I, of course, you know, when you write a lyric or you write po- write, write poetry, you know, it's 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 got to mean something to the reader or the listener, mm-hmm. and to explain it is is. To it's a violation. It, it's not a violation. <laughs> it, it's like a, it's like your interpretation, the way you think it means. Albert thinks it's about the amps. Well, yeah, you know it is. Uh, it, it's it's just uh, or about the guitars yeah. or uh, it's just Marshall will boy, but Fender control. It means one is raised up, but the other will be uh, will will be more significant. Right, uh, but. Um, Take that any way you want to mean it, because when you explain it, it lessens it. Um, so here's a, a question you probably get asked all the time, but I like hearing your answer to it, is uh, what's the worst gig you ever played? Worst? Uh, you know, there's been plenty of bad gigs. You know, we talked about the Mayfly gig. That's the one I want to talk about anyway. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we, you know, the Mayfly gig, you know, there's, there's been plenty of bad gigs. That's the Temple of Doom gig right there. Yeah, but, you know, somebody said, you know, how about the gig where you stomped on the plaque at the uh, British gig? Um, that that was pretty bad uh, because it was in front of 70,000 people and we were not good. You know, that, that that's probably more significantly bad because it was in front of more bad people, more more. You know, yeah, more, yeah, it more was worse people. because of the attendance. Yeah, but but um, the Mayfly gig, we, we discussed that before, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, but I like just telling that story because it's unbelievable. Um, here's another question related. Uh, what's the coldest gig we ever played in the States? That was the one where Oklahoma. We, that was, was that Oklahoma? Yeah, the one where we had to go out and buy all the sweatshirts and everything. <laughs> we, we went to... Okay, we had this gig, and it was, it was not supposed to be as cold as it was. No. And we got there, and they said, oh, it's going to be like, what, 30 degrees on stage or something? It was, it was, it was above freezing, but it was really cold. Um, so we went to... It was mostly because of the wind. Yeah, and, and soundcheck was just abysmal, so I think we went to We went to Walmart, Walmart. Yeah. and we bought like, long underwear to wear under our well, clothes. Well, I, di- I didn't, but everybody bought something to keep <laughs> themselves warm, include, <laughs> including a bag full of gloves. Yep. We cut, know, the we cut the fingers off a bag full of gloves. And um, pajamas. some people bought pajamas to wear under their clothes. Yeah, that's what I got. And then supposedly the hotel for, from that gig was also really disgusting. It was like a gross motel. And so we bought those pajamas. We slept in them on top of the blankets and then left them in the hotel room to be burned. And then, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, we played with these, um, you know, really like, you know, buy 10 pair of gloves for, for $20 or something like that, cut the tips off, and then everybody bought hoodies, and then uh, whatever coat you had, and then you just, it, no, I'm wearing a hoodie, so we had, I think everybody played with their faces sort of like this. <laughs> so all you could see of us was that. Well, the the worst thing about those gigs for me is like I'm all bundled up up there and I'm playing and then I'll see somebody who's been waiting out there in the cold for three hours for us to start and I'm like getting ready to complain but I see these poor bastards out there. Well, they all like- had blankets and, <laughs> and, and winter clothing. But uh, we had this like about a 30 mile per hour wind coming from the left and it was cold. Here's one um, from my buddy Vinny Lubrano. Uh, what is your memory of the Palladium gig when your equipment didn't arrive in time? Uh, he said he was there. It was an amazing show. Uh, which one? The Palladium. He said your equipment didn't arrive. Uh, yeah, we wound up playing with Thin Lizzy's equipment. Really? Yeah. I'm amazed that they, that people were cool with with sharing gear like that. Uh, not every not every band would have, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I guess they didn't mind. And uh, I think that it was some sort of truck failure with our stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a long time ago. Um, someone asked if you can talk about the black and blue tour at all is there any, anything that uh, comes to mind that you'd like to mention well sure there was you know there were plenty of problems with that and there was there was plenty of good stuff and plenty of problems uh, the black sabbath guys um of course that was the ronnie dio era of black sabbath mm-hmm. when they were playing the heaven and hell uh, album um like i said ronnie was a, a prince always and 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 i've talked to Vinny about this since um he really didn't have an inkling of, of any problems, but the uh, the two British gentlemen um, were not happy with um, on uh, about forty percent of the gigs had to um, go before us because the promoters wanted them to, and um, they thought they should have closed every show, and um, therefore were uh, very pissy to us, mm. and um, made everything very awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I can see how that would. Um, I mean, I if if you try hard enough, you can get a uh, you can get a bootleg of, of of Black and Blue. I'm sure it's even on YouTube now. The video, yeah. Um, um, for one reason or another, it's uh, it's it's not for sale or or. But from what I hear, is it can be found. I have, I have a uh, a bootleg of it, and yeah. it's 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 really awesome. The weird thing about it, though, is Reaper's not on it, for whatever reason. I think I was talking to Steve about this, and he said it just it didn't get recorded or something. And I, I don't know the answer. Yeah, but the, um, the the awesome thing is the the Harley gag was really good on the black and blue video. Oh, cool! You know, it, I haven't seen it myself in a very long time. It it was out in theaters for a short time, and we went to the premiere on Eighth Street in Manhattan at a small theater between 5th and 5th 5th Avenue and 6th Avenue I think and uh that might have been the only time I ever saw it in its entirety. Mm. Uh here's another question um did you ever meet Lemmy? Oh yeah. Yeah. Lemmy? Yeah. Sure. I I got to meet him once uh very briefly um when we were playing Germany with when I was still doing sound for you guys 2003 mm-hmm. on that German tour. Uh, Bobby brought me to a Motorhead show, mm-hmm. and uh, we hung out with Phil and Mickey because uh, Lemmy was off doing his own thing. And then right before uh, they went on stage, Lemmy saw Bobby Rondinelli went up to him and said, "I got your gong," 
And uh, the story behind that, which Bobby filled me in later, is they did a whole tour together. I think it was like Sabbath and Motorhead, and I'm, I apologize if I'm butchering the story. But they did a whole tour together, and the last night of the tour is usually when you play pranks in the other band. Is that, would you say that's true? It does happen. Uh, and so Bobby had this massive drum solo in the middle, and he turns around at the end of a drum solo to hit his gong like he would every night, and Lemmy was standing there with a little splash cymbal on a string. <laughs> he took he took he took his gong away. Um, have you? Are there any uh, pranks you can share? Oh yeah, sure. But but uh, you know, Lemmy was a great guy, and and certainly a rock god in in his own uh, inimitable way, and he was a good pal. Uh, I think we're gonna. I think we we got enough here. I think we're gonna start wrapping this up. Um, do you want to play a little bit of a something? Yeah, we don't have to. All right. Uh, we know we do enough of that. Um, so I guess we'll do. How long we've we been on? We've been on for fifty minutes. I think we're good. Uh, any uh, any uh, extenuating questions out there in Cyberland? Well, okay. Eric Jordan wants to know what it was like playing with Al Petrelli, who was awesome. Oh, uh, we loved having Al. Al was in the band uh, during one of Lanier's uh, short absences. So he played with us for about a month. <laughs> here's, a, here's a very funny question. Uh, have you ever called out the wrong city at a gig? Um, no. I've never heard you do it. No. I think I might have heard Donald do it, but I've never heard you do it. No. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, my front man duties uh, require knowing where the fuck I am. <laughs> uh, whose idea was it to do the chainsaw guitars bit? Uh, mine. That was yours? Yeah, uh, yeah. I actually, I had a... A gold top Les Paul um, that was stolen off the top of a stage in Boston a long time ago. And I'm talking about early 70s. And there was something wrong with it. I mean, it sounded great, but it had um, an electrical problem. Mm -hmm. And if you played it, it played fine, sounded fine. But if you touched it to the strings of another guitar, the strings would start to pop and melt and spark. Really? Yeah. So you had to be very careful or you would get the marks of the strings on the palm of your hand. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the first time we ever we decided to, you know, I, I think I, I just laid my guitar down for Don to, you know, yeah. do the thing. And so we tried it and we got a freaking spark. <laughs> you know, it went, it went kapow. And like, you know, it was like a like a, a, a Van de Graaff generator, you know. And, and we said, holy shit, this is cool, you know? So that was the beginning. And when we had that guitar, it was, like, amazing because the strings were, like, you know, popped off and sparked. And uh, when that guitar went away, that was the end of that. But it was, like, a special effect. Um, there's a guy who I watch a lot of videos of online. His name is Pete Thorne. He does all these, like, uh, gear demos. He's a phenomenal guitar player. Uh, I met him at the NAMM show. And I said, oh, you know, I'm, my name is Richie. I'm a big fan of yours. I play with Blue Oyster Cult. And he told me that uh, after he saw Buck do it, he used to, at the end of the gig, rip all the strings off the guitar. Yeah. And he said everybody looked at him like he was an asshole. <laughs> because he was like, I guess you have to be Buck Darmer to pull this off. <laughs> well, it helps. Um, here's, a, here's a question that you've probably answered a few times. Um, do you get tired of people doing more cowbell things to you? Um, it's kind of old, but, you know, I don't mind because, let's face it, it was a very, very good thing for Blue Oyster Cult, <laughs> you know, when when uh, that that did come on. Um, I get asked, you know, I do a lot of uh, press uh, interviews, and uh, invariably somebody's going to ask me that in mm -hmm. an interview. Um, 
what is a little I, I'm not even saying it's annoying, but it's just people think they're being clever. <laughs> you know, when they say, How how about that cowbell sketch? <laughs> you know. Or or on my Facebook page, you know, even when people say, you know, more cowbell or well, something like that. What's amazing about it is that it's not a skit anymore. It's a cultural reference. It certainly is. And, yeah. and that reference is forever tied to you. Uh, and I, I'd say that's just as as uh, commonplace as uh, Turn It Up to 11. In a way, it is. You know uh, what I, mean? uh, I, I was reading um, uh, Auto Week magazine, and... Um, there was an article about a, a vehicle in it. I can't recall which kind of vehicle, but it, it was like a mediocre review of a car. And it said, this car needs more cowbell. Yeah. I, and, and everybody knew what that meant immediately. Um, oh, thank you, Jared. I'll get to that in a second. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Florida Frank wants to know, what place are the Mets going to finish in the NL East? Um, they've been playing well lately, Frank. I have my uh, fingers crossed. They should have won last night, except for an error. Uh, I am watching. Uh, my eye is on them. And uh, let's do a game sometime soon, Frank. And will we be playing together sometime this year, Frank? That's my question for you. We're doing enough European stuff with the metal fest. Will so. we see you this summer, Frank? Uh, type the answer. Yes. Um, so while we're waiting for that answer... Um, if you would like to buy Eric and I dinner, please use the Bandgeek tip jar link below. Uh, it's not clickable if you're on Facebook. You have to actually go to the browser. It's richiecastellano.com slash tip jar, and that actually goes to supporting the show and uh, helps us keep going. And if you're a Bandgeek fan, you've noticed that uh, we've been putting shows out regularly with, with consistency, and we're really trying to keep that up, and that's because of the support of people like you. Uh, in particular, I have to thank Rob Crossland and Ralph Pitts for their contributions to the show. We really appreciate it, guys. You guys are amazing. And now, this is being rebroadcast, right? This, yeah, this will be right now. It's live, but it'll be on Sunday's podcast. So if you want to listen to it again, if you missed anything or people who couldn't tune in on time, um, oh, here's a good a good question. Uh, what? How? How is Danny's uh, standing with his vowels right now? How many vowels does he have left? Uh, last I checked, he was Danny. Mm. <laughs> um, he hasn't lost any consonants lately, but I think all the vowels are gone. Yeah, well, maybe he'll be able to get him back. Uh, By the way, let us look, uh, everyone out there in Cyberland, uh, look for Danny Miranda on base with Blue Oyster Cult. You heard it here first, folks. Okay, also, um, if you shop on Amazon, please use our Amazon link. That is riotcast.com slash bandgeek. There's an Amazon banner at the top of the page. Click that before you do your shopping, and a small percentage of your purchase will go to supporting the show, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So uh, I think that's a good place to stop. Well, just, you know, just I'll put this out there. You know, um, like I said, I do a lot of interviews. Probably the most asked question um, uh, in BOC land is new material. Um Blue Oyster Cult is negotiating to make a new album, um, so I'll just put it out to you right now. Um, there is nothing in writing, uh, but there is um, some offers on the table. We do hope to be recording 
um, but nothing is etched in stone. Uh, I am not saying anything definite, but we are working on it. And um, so let us put a possible new material out from BOC next year. Let us uh, hope that happens. Thank you very much, Eric. Everybody, please uh, give your cyber virtual applause to Eric Bloom. And uh, thanks for tuning in to Band Geek, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. You guys have been awesome and a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. That is youtube.com slash Castellano, and you can see more live streams, and you can be a part of them. So thanks a lot, guys, and see you next time.